Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash bookshow. Then go over to morbidlybeautiful.com as we are now part of the Morbidly Beautiful Podcasting Network. By special arrangement with 20th Century Fox, Magnetic Video Corporation is proud to offer the following major motion picture on video cassette. It has been established that persons who have recently died have been returning to life and committing acts of murder. Have you checked the children? children. I want to play a game. The box. You opened it. We came. This is the All-American Spook Show. Hello and welcome to another edition of the All-American Spook Show podcast. I'm Josh and I'm joined here with Donnie hey. and the Professor Smoke. What's up? Will could not be with us this week. He's on assignment. Also, too, it continues our streak of all of us not being on the on the same episode together. <laughs> I think like the last time we were all on the same episode, you know, in our weekly shows, was all the way back to episode 101, Night of the Living Dead. I think ever I since then. It might have been uh, Frankenhooker when we were all in the uh, uh, studio. I think we I think we were all there for the next week, Night of the Living Dead, but we haven't ever since. Like everybody, somebody's been on vacation, sick, various reasons, whatever, you know, everybody, mm-hmm. everybody's had their little uh, reasons. But, but hopefully, uh, hopefully he'll be back next week. For uh, Hellraiser 3. But anyways, yeah, so today we're here for the latest Spook Show Spotlight on video part one. We're, we're going to go ahead and say part one because we know this is going to go kind of long. Yeah. And we're going to kind of divide it up into at least three parts, maybe four parts. And uh, also because Camp Spook Show is going to be starting on June 6th, you know, with episode 111. It, there will be a kind of a delay between like, you know, yeah, we're doing part one today. But it part two and so on. Probably won't be until August or September. I'll admit it now. It's going to be a little while. But we've wanted to do this uh, this subject for a while. Smoke, this might have been one of the earliest uh, little topics that we thought of all the way back to what, like late 2018, 2019. Where we're like, yeah, we need to get around to that. And we just haven't done it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We keep mentioning it. And I know we've, we've mentioned a bunch of home video nuggets, if you will, over the years. Yeah. On each individual episode when it when it. When the issue came up. All right, so uh, I guess before we get into the, uh, the the home video part one, you know, the whole history of uh, everything we've got here, uh, Smoke, you were not here back when we did Deathgasm. Um, now, you've been on since then, but, like, you, you didn't get a chance to watch it again. That was episode 103. Uh, you said you had seen it before, but you didn't get a chance to watch it again until recently. So I guess uh, we'll take this time to go ahead and give your thoughts on the movie and uh, give us your star rating and the gore score for that one. Yeah, yeah, I remember when I first saw it when it was, uh, I don't know what the year was when that came out on. At any rate, I, I remember liking it when I first saw it. And, you know, what's not to like about it, it's heavy metal and horror. Uh, but I'd forgotten, you know, details and things. I remember it being pretty gory. You know, like, yeah. I remember, yeah, that's the one, and, you know, the whole metal aspect, of course, I'm going to be down with that. But uh, So then rewatching it this time again, I assume I liked it better than I did the first time because it was second time around, you get to see more. It, more things you didn't necessarily catch the first time around or whatever. So yeah, it uh, very much reminds me of Trick or Treat, you know, with the possession aspect a little bit. But speaking of the possession aspect, another movie that it reminds me of is Evil Dead. Because <laughs> it's, you know, the zombies. The gore factor, though, just like grabs you. It takes a little while before anything starts happening because you got to wait till the, the possession stuff to kick in. 
and but before that, you get all the metal aspect of it, yeah, and it's got good characterization, I think, of uh, of the people in the movie. But yeah, as soon as that gore kicks in, it's just almost nonstop. I really enjoyed it the second time around, and I haven't seen the episode yet that y'all are on, so I don't know what y'all's ratings are on. Uh, that being said, I think I would I give it a three and three quarters. So before you give the gore score, I'll tell you what we said. Uh, Donnie gave it four stars. Will gave it three and three quarters, and I gave it three and a half. So we're all pretty much right in the same ballpark. Uh, yeah, within like a half a star or so. Yeah, so. basically a quarter of a star, yeah. Yeah, half a star. So uh, with your rating, that brings it up to a consensus score of three and three-quarter stars, exactly. Nice. So nice. I think well-deserved. Now, I, I that was actually my choice, uh, you know, in the rotation. I picked the movie. And uh, Smoke, that's why I was upset that you weren't able to be there for that one because, like, I kind of picked that one with you. I picked that one with you in mind because <laughs> I knew you would uh, have a few uh, a few opinions on that movie for sure. Yeah, I, I really hate that I missed that one. I think that was when I was in Florida. Yeah, vacation, I think you, I believe. one yeah. of your one of your many uh, vacations that you've taken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that that was one I hated. Definitely hated to miss just because of the. Like I said, I hadn't seen it in a long time, so I couldn't remember the... I remember liking it a lot, but I couldn't remember the specifics of it, you know. But everything that we do, is, you hate to miss anything that we do. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, you do the show. Yeah, we all have so you know a lot of fun doing these, so it does suck when, uh, you know, we're missing. And that's why I said, uh, you know, uh, the fact that we all haven't been there on the same episode since Night of the Living Dead, episode 101, you know, that sucks, because I like it when we're all here, uh, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. being able to have a good time and give the ratings and everything, but... Um, before we move on past Deathgasm, I'll go ahead and let you uh, do your gore score. Gore score. Uh, this is one of the juiciest ones we've had, I think. Yep. I can think of in recent memory, in any memory, really, other than, you know, terror, Terrorizer. Uh, I can't, I, well, Terrified, right? Is it, no, <laughs> Terrifier. Terrifier. Yeah. <laughs> Sam the Terrified and Terrorizing. Yeah. Terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's been one of the, I don't remember what I gave that one exactly. I, I might've gave that one a 10, but well, uh, I've got the, I've got the scores up here. The only thing you've given a 10 to was reanimator terrifier and terrifier. Yeah. The gore in this one, first of all, is, is hot and heavy. It just comes once it gets to that point, which is, I forget. I didn't, I didn't make a note of the time, you know, but once it happens, then it's pretty much almost nonstop of stuff going on all the way to the end of the movie. Uh, and it, the thing about it is too, it's sort of that good natured fun sort of splatter, you know, and we've talked about this before. We terrif terrifier. <laughs> yeah. Is, that's probably the, there's that one specific scene in that movie. And there's a bunch of scenes in it that are, you know, gory, but there's one specific one. Like, Oh, when that happens, you like feel it. And it's, sort yeah. of, it's yeah. got that sort of mean spirited, like sickness kind of thing to it. We, that's probably the closest we've come yet. But once we get to movies like cannibal Holocaust, et cetera, you know, all those, they're in a whole other league when it comes to that. And that there's some sort of rating. I said that whenever we get to one of those, I'm going to have to come up with a 10 plus something yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to denote the, 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 like those ones that make you want to take a shower after you're watching it. Almost, yeah. you know? <laughs> like disgusting mixed with mean spiritedness. You know? It's 10 X. This movie is like that fun sort of splatter gore. Like I said, it kind of reminds me of like Sam Raimi's evil dead movies. You know? with a humor mixed in with the gore and everything and, or like reanimator. You know. So it's good nature all the way through and it's really plentiful. But my thing is now whether I, whether I'm deciding on whether I'm going to give a nine or a 10, because again, it's kind of like splitting hairs, but I mean, it's reanimator. I gave it 10. This movie is definitely it, as gory as if not more gory. Uh, I guess I'll go with the, uh, oh, I might, might as well go with the 10, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, Damn buckets of blood in this movie for sure. 
but but it's fun fun natured buckets of blood. The other one was uh, uh that that catches you up to date, Smoke, but Donnie, you're not up to date because you weren't here for session nine. I was not uh, man. last I week. I did miss this one, man. This was Smoke's pick, and uh, uh, I remember when he picked it. I was like, "Oh, okay, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah," because I, you know, uh, oh man, I, I just, I enjoyed this when I when I saw it because I, I wasn't expecting anything. You know, I was just like, "Okay, yeah." I mean, this sounds kind of interesting as far as. Uh, um, you know, uh, insane asylum and, uh, you know, the whole setting and everything. Uh, um, but yeah, the first time I watched it, I was, like I said, I just wasn't expecting it. And, you know, definitely me, the thing, like when I watched it the, the second time, it was almost, it almost kind of, it was, God, I, I haven't seen it in, uh, many, many years. You know, this was only the second time I've seen it, but like it was to the point where it, Basically, it makes you think. It makes you, you know, kind of you have some kind of theories or you're not really sure if like was all of that just like did he just imagine it? Yeah, I mean, we spent a great deal of that episode debating just that. Like, was it was it supernatural? Was it just this dude just lost his mind? You know, uh, spoiler alert, you know, uh, if you haven't seen session nine, you should probably pause right now. Go check it out and then come back. But. And of course, go listen to our episode after that as well. You know, the whole episode from last week. Yeah. About it. But uh, when, you know, the stuff happens with his family, does he just lost, does he, has he just lost his mind at that point and just fuck the world? Mm. Or yeah. is there something supernatural in that, in that hospital? Yeah, that's, um, that's, that's, that's also true. And, you know, uh, something, um, and I didn't, I mean, obviously I didn't think about it at this time, but it, because it hadn't been, you know, it hadn't been made, but. Um, I thought a lot about uh, uh, Shutter Island uh, mm. when, you know, just some of the it's just connects connects some dots, mm-hmm. you know. I think but, that uh, one. I think that one got brought up. I think Will brought that one up, right? Smoke, like in comparison, I think Shutter Island was one of them. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, shit. Yeah. Well, good to know. I'm not the uh, not the only one who <laughs> kind of made those made those connections. Uh, but no, uh, I I enjoyed it. You know, I I star rating. Um, Oh man, I would say probably the only, the only, I want to say the only, I mean, cause it, it, it was, it, it, it did not pace well at all. You know, it, it was, it is slow. It is, it, it's definitely a slow burn. I but, think that was um, on purpose, but yeah. Some yeah. Of, some of that, yeah. I think it's on purpose. Yeah. Thing is like, it, it's, it's good enough to where, you know, f- for me and my scale, it has to be, you know, three stars at least three stars if i if i'm gonna see this again you know um and this definitely is there i'm gonna settle in on three and a quarter this is one of those ones where it's like this is the luxury of when we have our anniversary show our fourth anniversary in october when you have time to kind of sit back and think about it a little bit when we have that that moment of reflection for our re-rating time yeah maybe you can go up maybe you can go down whatever you can but for now uh 3.25 or three and a quarter that is going to bring the consensus score. Well, I, I'll tell you what our scores were. Will same yeah. Will same score three and a quarter. Oh, okay. Smoke mm-hmm. same score three and a quarter. Oh, okay. And all my right. score three and a half. So you put them all together, you come to three point three one on the consensus score. So mm. basically three and a quarter uh, average rating. 
Yeah, it's forces. definitely something I would I would recommend. Yeah, obviously, uh, I think we all know, people check out. And and you know, totally. And I think there there is a little bit more discussion warranted for this one too when we have some mm-hmm. time somewhere to talk a little bit more about it. Just just so you can have more of your two cents about it, and we can kind of maybe flesh some more out about it. It it, it was an interesting pick, smoke for that reason alone because it it spurred a, a lot of conversation. You know, which is yeah. you know one of the main things we want to do here. So it was a, it was an excellent choice in that regard. Donnie, did you have any time to pull any crypt connections for that or not, or, or we can get to that at some other point? There were no connections at all. I looked, I looked everywhere. You okay. know, when I say everywhere, you know, the the of what we usually uh, keep track keep of. track of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I I just recently added stuntmen, but there were no. I mean, as far as stunt crews. Uh, cause that was something that I added for uh cannon fodder. Yeah. Um, but, um, no, I didn't find, uh, didn't find any connections at all to anyone else. So yeah, before we dive into it, I'll go ahead and throw out the usual information. You can contact us at all American spook show at gmail.com. Find us, find us on, uh, by searching for all American spook show on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, the slasher app, um, over on YouTube, you know, that we have a link tree link down in the show notes. You click that, you should have links to all these things. Plus our T public page where we sell logoed merchandise and other cool designs we have over there. And of course, patreon.com slash a spook show where we have bonus content every month, including spook show, rewind, crapster piece theater, uh, professors, retro review articles. You get early access to podcast episodes, uh, weekly video mini every Tuesday with the library, of the professor. So tons of stuff. We, we're just throwing it at you left and right over on patreon.com slash a show. So we want you to be a patron and join us over there today. So, um, so I guess we'll just go ahead and dive right into it. Now, I guess we'll start as simple as this. How do you define home video? Now I actually looked it up. This was on, uh, I believe dictionary.com. Um, <laughs> home video is actually defined as two things, a videotape recorded by camcorder generally for non-commercial use, especially for viewing at home. So that's like your home movies and stuff. Also, it's defined as the business of renting or selling pre-recorded video cassettes for viewing, especially at home. Now, I'm I'm going to assume that that definition gets more broad as as the years go by. Obviously, you know we're about to go through that where it starts as film and eventually yeah. becomes tapes and uh, DVDs and Blu-rays and all that stuff that it eventually turns into. But but uh, as best we can tell, it, it started off with the late 1800s, early 1900s is uh, uh, different types of film, right, Smoke? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you want to go. Now, we're not talking about home video, but we're talking about, let's say, home markets, you know, home watching things at home or whatever. You can go all the way back to, now, this wasn't watching things at home, but 1888, that was the very first, if you want to call it a movie, it was a, technically it was only two seconds long, and the Guinness Book of World Records actually listed it as the first movie, but it's only two seconds, you know. And basically, it's a home, a home movie, so there's a little bit of a tie, and the very first film was a home movie, it's a... Uh, it was called a round hay Gordon sequence. And it was basically two, two seconds, like I said, of these people in a garden birth of home video. We're not going into go into film too deeply, but there, this is contested. Maybe we'll do a spotlight on the birth of cinema or something later. That could be contested because there was some stop motion thing before 1888 that, some people claim that is the first movie, but technically that was just stop motion, you know, single images for those who, those couple of people that don't know what stop motion is, right? Those single images as you run them in the sequence and make moving video, right? But technically it wasn't motion captured on film. So the 1888 movie I just talked about was uh, the first thing that was actually filmed that captured motion on it. So uh, the first motion picture then, that was 1888. And it was a whole movie. And beyond that, 
then we get to what 1906. That was where the discussion between like film entrepreneurs when they were trying to decide how they could get people at home to watch films. And then uh, beyond that, I'll let uh, I'll let one of you take over for the next uh, step in the evolution. Yeah, the, it it basically yep. uh, it was born. You know, home video was born initially as a rental. Uh, business. Uh, it was 1912. Um, there was Edison and there was a French, uh, it was two brothers, um, the Pathé brothers. Uh, they started selling film projectors for home use, basically. And the uh, the owners of those, uh, you know, the people who bought them, they rented these films by mail uh, from the basically from the manufacturer, either Edison or uh, Pathé. Uh, but, you know, uh, we were kind of talking uh, a little bit off air, but th- they couldn't have lasted that long, you know? It's like, if you think about, you know, film being so expensive, even today. It wasn't a solid business model in terms yeah. of uh, being able to uh, uh, make a lot of money off of that because it probably wasn't that many people that had projectors either. Yeah. You know, so that that alone, for, forget the price of renting the films, just the fact that how many people at that time in the early adoption of this technology would have had a, a projector, yeah. you know, I, I believe the means to view it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I believe that when we looked at that, like it even said, like, yeah, that only lasts a couple of years. And like <laughs> Edison was out and then eventually the Pathé brothers were out. And then it just yeah. kind of went away. So basically, like from what I can tell, as far as like the little bit of research we did, you kind of. Once Edison and Pathé were kind of out of it, you kind of fast forward to 1924. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, there might be something in between smoke that you might have. But in 1924, Kodak invented the 16 millimeter film, which kind of became popular for home use and then later developed the 8 millimeter film. So that kind of became the way that, you know, a lot of people started uh, viewing their own home, getting the taping or filming, I should say, and watching their own home movies and stuff, right? Yeah, they could uh, pretty much purchase a cut down version of these films, you know, where it would be not the full length because, uh, to put a full length movie on a 60 millimeter would probably taken more than one reel, of course. And it would have been, it was already expensive as it was. So to get it on one reel, they would just cut it into sort of highlights and things. Donnie, I think but you had something on that, right? Still super expensive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even, you know, I, I would assume so. Yeah. 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 It was actually, uh, it, you know, when, once they invented the 16 millimeter, uh, they, it was after that point, you know, the public could actually purchase the uh, projectors and then they could either rent or buy some of those uh, highlight reels that uh, Smoke was uh, talking about. You know, some cartoons, some uh, uh, little short comedies. There were actually some entire feature films that uh, could that you could either rent or buy, uh, you know, in uh, 60 millimeter. But the 8 millimeter films, uh, which they actually later developed, uh, those never ran any longer than ten minutes. That's just crazy, and, and they right. wouldn't and they wouldn't have had sound either, you know. So like, there must have been some kind of other tape or record or something that you would that you would get along with it to play along with it, right? Mm. You would think. Yeah, those early days. The first uh, was it standard eight? They would call it. Mm-hmm. Have audio didn't wouldn't record it, but uh, and it would still be the cut down versions. In fact, even more cut down than the sixteen millimeter because you couldn't get as much in, you know, on the reels. But it was a lot more affordable. <laughs> yeah. Still, though, not, still not affordable enough for a lot of people to have it. So even all the way up through film, 
through the history of film in the home, so to speak. It was for the, as a niche market for film buffs, pretty much, or, and you know those that could afford it. Or also, I mean, it's not it's not like you know we think of today. We just throw a disc in a machine or throw a tape in the machine. It was a lot of setup <laughs> involved. Yeah, making actors run right. You know, a lot of technical aspects to it that you uh, that mm-hmm. most people wouldn't. Yeah, you, so- you wouldn't. You know, you would have to have some knowledge of. So uh, really, just a niche market off of that. So most people, most people, not only could they not afford it, they're just not even going to bother with it. Because like, <laughs> fuck all that, you know. <laughs> I'll just go. I'll like just go to the drive-in. The whole film, either, unless the sixteen millimeter, you can get the whole film. It's really expensive. But yeah. you know, you're not getting sound when it comes to eight millimeter or the whole entire movie. So. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. The management of this drive-in theater is happy to announce you can enjoy your favorite form of movie entertainment regardless of rain. No longer will it be necessary to let rain spoil your fun. Now you can keep your windshield clear and dry with a drizzle guard. Simply attach it to your windshield, and in a jiffy, you're enjoying the movie without constantly running your windshield wipers. From what I could tell, the first company to duplicate and distribute feature films for major film studios on home video was magnetic video. Um, now you're kind of fast forwarding to the seventies there kind of with that right into the early to mid seventies. But, um, did you, you I think you had some notes smoke on like some stuff that might've happened in between there? Yeah. I had a little bit of a few, uh, like if you come from, uh, say 1932 and we're talking about eight millimeter or well, standard eight millimeter come a little bit forward from that, you know, before we get into super eight, which we we touched on a little bit. 1956 was an important uh, date for home video. Well, not for home video. Well, in the long run, it would be an important date for home video. But Ampex released their one-inch reel-to-reel videotape. And, uh, of course, that wasn't for the home market, but it was important to video in general because it was a video. It was magnetic videotape played from reel, one reel to another reel. Very bulky, though, so it was for mainly for broadcast televisions and other industrial type settings. So, but an important, an important invention for the later, you know, home video market. That was 1956. A lot of people don't think about that. You know, you know, when they think of videotape, they think of the seventies. Mm-hmm. They don't really think of 1956 as being sort of the birth of, of the format itself. Then I, you come, come forward a little bit more to 1965 and that's when, when super eight was released. And we kind of talked about that a little bit, but thing about super eight that was cool was that then you could have sound on the film itself. Again, though, you're limited to you know, like 10 minutes or so of reels. You'd have to have a few reels to get, you know, I mean, you aren't going to have, I'm pretty sure, I mean, I'm 100% on it, but I don't believe they rent released full movies even on Super 8 because you would have to have a, a ton of reels. Maybe they did. Maybe they had a whole box set of them. I don't know, but you're still pretty much dealing with highlights of movies and little short film strips and things. And then I guess at that point, then we come, like you said, to 1971. I don't know if you had any information in 1971. I had a little bit more on that. Again, mainly on broadcast type stuff. But, and this is something that y'all would be familiar with as well as I from working in mass control TV stations and whatnot. 1971, Sony released the Umatic video cassette, which was a three-quarter inch. Three-quarter tape, inch, yeah. Which was, you know, of course, the standard before digital Betamax and all that stuff came back, came into being, or Betacam SPs and all that, so those things. So, uh, when I first started working in broadcast, uh, when I went to school for communications technology, they had a PBS station there at that college, and that's what I worked at. That was my first, uh, you know, experience with something other than VHS or Beta. Beta Max was three quarter inch, as well as those one inch reel to reels that they had as well. You know. Yeah, I've only had to in my in my career in news news editing. 
I've only had to mess with three quarter inch tapes for archive purposes, you know, looking at the oh, old yeah. videos and stuff. So like that, that's a whole thing in and of itself. That stuff's so old now. Like anytime you go to pull that stuff or, you know, you have to digitize it. Uh, if you can find a working machine, you know, you, first off, you, you're uh, hitting a home run right there. Um, but, but if you, if you can have a working machine, then you pop the tape in, you'll be lucky if the tape doesn't snap, you know, because you're talking about yeah. 40, 50 year old stuff now, you know, so. Yeah. And that, that was, that was important again to home video because it was, you know, like I mentioned before, the reel to reel in 1956 was the, you know, invention sort of a magnetic video, but this was the first time that they could, they could be put into a cassette. And again, the Umatic though was not, they tried to market this for consumers. But it ended up being way too expensive, so they found their target with uh, industrial corporations and, of course, broadcast television. That's where that pneumatic went in. Oh, and then 1972 will come ahead a little bit more than 1972, still still before the birth of Betamax. Uh, but this was the first that I could find commercially available videotape machine for your you know consumers. And it was a uh, Philips released the. <laughs> you know, we think of VCR when you say VCR. People mainly think of that nowadays in terms of, well, a Betamax is a VCR, a VHS is a VCR. It means video cassette recorder. But this this particular instrument that Philips put out was called a VCR, but it was a video cassette recording, I guess for a video cassette recording device. And it actually has a logo, VCR. You know, because I, I never even, I'd never even heard about this one. I mean, I, you know, being a fan of VHS and stuff, I heard about it later. But when I was, you know, young, my younger days, even in TV days when I first started learning about that stuff, I never even heard of this format, but it's Philips VCR, and it's got its own little logo and everything. It was the first successful consumer videotape system, but they didn't rent anything on it. See, there was no movies. It was, it was, you know, you could record stuff or whatever off TV or whatever, but it wasn't. There was no movies rented out on this, so that's probably why it didn't last too long. Yeah, that was probably before the movie studios started playing ball with it, right? With the yeah. whole home video but craze. There was a system that did come out that did rent. And uh, I don't know if y'all, did y'all ever get any information on the Cartravision system? No, I didn't see no. that one. This would be the first, uh, I mean, they rented movies and everything on it, but it wasn't, it didn't last long. So that's why it's not really, it is part of, of course, the home video, birth of home video, but it's not necessarily, it didn't have longevity. Basically, it's a television set with this system built into it. So it's kind of like a, you know, you think of VCR TV combos. Well, this is probably the first one of those that was a... Huge, a huge television set, though, like the old school furniture pieces of the TV with the cartridge vision system built in. And uh, it was a videotape format. And they did do movie rentals. Uh, you know, you'd have to basically go to a retailer and then they would have a catalog of like however many titles. I think it was like 200 titles. And you would choose whatever movie you wanted. They would mail it to you. After you watched it, you would take it back to the retailer. It was kind of short lived, though. It, did, it, it died off. And then, uh, Pretty much after that point, then that's when we get, come up to 1975. And uh, I'll let y'all, one of y'all want to take over for what you're talking about, Josh. I think it's where you had the birth of Beta, right? Yeah, that was uh, basically what, 1976, when Betamax was, la- Betamax was launched here in the United States. And uh, like I said, that was magnetic video. Basically, the, uh, the, the CEO, the chief executive of mm. uh, magnetic video, Andre Blay, uh, it says he wrote letters to all the major film studios offering to license the rights to their film. So this would be the the very beginnings of, all right, well, now we have, you know, we've got these tapes. Um, we're getting these VCRs, like you said, out to homes. Now we need to get a catalog going of, uh, of uh, studio movies. And I'm sure there was probably some, uh, 
blowback because, you know, the way it had always been done up to that point was theaters, you know, the theater system. So I'm sure they probably weren't happy with this at first, right? Nah. Well, I know, I know one stipulation he had on those titles, like, when, you know, when he first started, well, not first started, I guess if you go back to the beginning of Magnetic Video, they started in 1968 and they were an audio video uh, duplica- duplication service, basically. But then in 1975, I think the, in Japan, when the Betamax first came out, and I believe, I want to say some part, maybe mid, mid 75 or so, or something like that, wasn't until 76 when it hit U.S. And then when it hit the U.S., I guess that's when Andre Blay was like, oh, wait a minute. And then he had this epiphany of, I guess he could, you know, saw the writing on the wall, so to speak, and created, mag- you know, created this part of Magnetic Video where they would, acquisition these titles and first i think he went 20th century fox was the first studio that that accepted his deal but the stipulation was that the movies had to be at least two years old and had already aired on broadcast television at one point so so it wasn't like brand new movies you know they weren't putting they weren't letting them touch those yet donnie i saw in our notes there you had a little bit more information on uh on the terms there magnetic yeah. magnetic video with fox yeah this was uh you know first of its kind uh, like like we've already mentioned. Uh, so Magnetic Video, they agreed to pay Fox a royalty of... Now, granted, this is $1977. I'll get to the inflation, um, what it calculates for inflation. But So Magnetic Video agreed to pay Fox a royalty of $7.50 per unit sold, uh, which equates to uh, $35, like over $35 per unit sold uh, in today's money. Hmm. Uh, and a guaranteed annual minimum payment of $500,000 in exchange for non-exclusive rights to 50 films. Uh, The stipulations to those those films, they had to be at at least two years old uh, and had already been, you know, put on TV. Which, Um, that's what Smoke just mentioned there, that they had to have been aired on uh, network television. Yep. And then also in 1977, um, they, well, I say they, the uh, Magnetic Video, uh, they originally priced their video cassettes, now granted this is $1977, at uh, $50 to $70 each, which is still insane. Uh, but in, yeah, uh, yeah. in 2022 dollars, like uh, that is 230 uh, 230 to three hundred and thirty dollars can you imagine paying that for a uh, no <laughs> um, yeah i mean it was pricey back then and yeah you know, oh, it was yeah. crazy but you know you you compare that to the average price of a of a movie ticket uh back then was uh two dollars and 23 cents uh, i believe it was uh which averages uh you know in today's dollars to uh ten dollars and 64 cents so it's about about was, right yeah so that's about roughly what you probably pay yeah. at most the movie theaters uh even today yeah so it all equals out as far as inflation is concerned but yeah that's <laughs> so basically these things were not priced for almost yeah. anyone to actually go buy and bring home no they only sold them to um uh, wholesalers, uh, whoever that could basically order a minimum of, uh, $8,000, which in today's number would be, uh, over $38,000. And smoke, we've talked about that before, how like a lot of this was set up to where, and we'll get into that. I'm sure either, you know, here in a, in a second or in the next part, when you start getting into, uh, like video rental stores, these, these, these cassettes, these videos were basically priced for them 
to buy and then just rent the shit out of to people, and that's how they yeah. paid for them, right? Yeah, yeah, they would. Yeah, they they price them as high. Well, first of all, Andre Blay himself, he created something called the Video Club of America, and that's where he would mail or you know sell these videos to people that could afford them, I guess. And uh, that is where we basically get to. And I, I don't know if we, I don't know how where we're at with the, with this at the point of you know where we're when you know what stopping point we're going to be at, but a good place to get to would be the true birth of home video rental. I mean, we've already talked about these little, you know, mail order things with the cartridge vision, this and that, but, but, uh, it was really that video club of America that he started that people would buy from. And this guy named, uh, George Atkinson through that video club of America, I guess he purchased one of each of those 50 titles on beta and on VHS. And then he started a rental service where people would, uh, basically pay for, like, I think it was $50 for $50 for a year. Yeah, $50 for an annual membership or $100 for a lifetime membership. Wow. And you would charge uh, $10 a day for the rentals. So that was that right there is the true birth of, you want to call it entrepreneurship, a brick-and-mortar video rental place to go to the, you know, mm. that you get you know, so, before that, it was just mail order. Nobody was, like, renting so, these things so what you just stores. So what you just said is basically you paid a membership fee, 50 bucks a year or $100 for a lifetime, but you still had to pay $10 a month, you yeah. said, to rent the... $10 per... Uh, $10 a day for the rental, for one movie. <laughs> wow. This, so you basically, it was like a one-day rental for $10. You had to bring it back the next day. <laughs> this must have been like the, the early seeds of Columbia House or something. <laughs> yeah, if we're talking today's numbers, that would be 40... Almost forty-eight bucks a day. Wow! <laughs> yeah, and that's on top of the, like I said, the fifty-dollar a year or hundred-dollar lifetime. Yeah, what, what's the inflation on that? Fifty bucks for a year. Fifty bucks for a year. That would be two hundred and thirty-eight bucks. So you pay that for the year, and then you'd be paying like forty-something bucks a day in today's money <laughs> <laughs> just to rent the movies. And probably, that probably was still cheaper than any prior service had been. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Probably. <laughs> yeah, nowadays we look at it, you look at it even, you know, what, I don't know, you come 15 years forward from that to where you got blockbusters and things where they're, you know, selling the, you know, renting these things for, you know, different times. But I mean, really, at one point you could rent them on a Friday and not have to bring them back till Monday. Yeah. For, you know, two or three bucks a movie or something. And then after a while, not too long after that, they started, you know, was it five day rentals or something? <laughs> where yeah, you something, pay the same price. It was something like that, like five days or up to a week or something like that by the, the last time I remember dealing with all that, but yeah, we'll, we'll get deeper into that rabbit hole and in, in further parts for sure. Cause that, that's a whole thing in and of itself. But I think it's interesting to get up to this point. I guess we got a couple minutes here before we wrap it up. We'll kind of put a pin in it right there as far as like leading into the VHS Betamax wars and the true, uh, birth and, and, and blossoming of the uh, home rental, you know, the, the mom and pop video stores, the big box, all that kind of stuff. But you can take a couple minutes to explain one of the formats that came out around that time was CEDs, right? Yeah, we can go a little bit forward to, you know, before, like you said, the Data Max VHS Wars, we'll get to on another episode, but uh, CEDs, and that was 1981 when CED came out. So it's around that same uh, time period. And like, now were CEDs something that got rented out? I, I think you said you did rent some, right? So I guess that was something, one of the early things that got rented, right? Uh, other than VHS and Betamax. Yeah, because uh, like I said, well, Betamax, as we talked about, came out in. 76 or so but nobody could really afford it that much other than you know 
by 77, some more people could, and 77 VHS that came out. But it, again, they were not, not everybody had them just because the instruments, you know, emerging technology is always going to be expensive no matter what it is. So it wouldn't be really until the 80s that your average consumer could really afford, you know, they could, the price could come down because they had made it manufactured for a couple of years by that point to where they could get the price down on them. So it was uh, in the 80s that I remember renting, before we even had any sort of Betamax or anything, going to the video store and renting the player, the CED player, which CED stands for Capacitance Electronic Disc. And uh, basically it looks like a record album with a hard plastic sleeve that you push in, you know, this whole sleeve goes into the, in the, the device and then uh, it grabs the disc, the little slots on the disc inside the player and you pull the sleeve out and then the disc stays in the player. And there's a stylus in there that plays the disc basically like a like a turntable. We rented this machine from the local video store and the movies to go with. And one of those, I, I remember it being like Dragon Slayer, uh, Revenge of the Ninja. And uh, I'll, I'll tell a quick story about this. <laughs> the CED, my experience was the first experience with CED. We, re we rented this stuff, rented the movies for us, and my dad rented his movies. You know, quote, his movies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In the back, it was like some Playboy or Penthouse thing or whatever, you know, something yeah. like that. And uh, so, you know, we it's me and my cousin and, you know, his family and uh, whatever. So we, we rented the movies we wanted to see, and then they rented their movies. And and uh, the next day when they were at work, you know, we, we, we're like, oh, hey, let's watch Dad's movie. <laughs> so, yeah, nobody's home but us, you know. So we, we put this thing in there, and we start watching it, right? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, oh shit, we better we better stop because you know they're gonna be getting home from work soon. So okay, let's put it back in the sleeve. When you put the sleeve in there, put the disc with the other disc where it was or whatever. Right then that night we were gonna watch one of those movies. I think it was Class. I don't know if you remember that comedy comedy drama movie called Class. Mm -hmm. Anyway, it was one of those just typical comedy dramas from the time, and uh, we were gonna watch that sort of as a family. So he <laughs> so he gets the disc and goes to put it in there, puts the sleeve in there, and all of a sudden. The penthouse thing starts playing, <laughs> and me and my cousin look at each other like, boom, like eyes like, oh shit, home and home and home and home. Like, what the hell? How is this playing or whatever? <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know. Man, man, these CD players <laughs> are crazy, huh, Pop? <laughs> so he he puts the sleeve of the you know the, the penthouse thing in there, and like to pull that disc out. Then turns out that turns out somehow or other, whenever we went to take the disc, the sleeve, you know, put the sleeve into the instrument to take the the penthouse went out. It didn't come out. The sleeve came out, but the disc still stayed in there. We thought we had taken it out. So when he put the other one in there, it somehow inserted both discs into the player. It inserted the class movie on top of the penthouse movie. So it was still playing the penthouse one, but the class one was sitting on top. So when he put the sleeve in there to pull it out, he pulled both movies out in the, in the one plastic sleeve. So now... <laughs> Now he's got this, you know, he's trying to like, and it's just, he tried to take it out and it broke. Basically the disc broke because those things are not, they're just as flimsy, if not flim more flimsier than a vinyl disc. Yeah. God, money. Uh, so he broke it trying to get it out and then, boy, he, he, I thought he was going to tear him out of my cousin's asses up. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> he was going to have to pay for this like $90, whatever it was, you know. So he took it back to the video store. He told, I'm sure he told the guy, you know, what happened. The guy, they probably had a good laugh about it. And then he thought he didn't charge him or anything. Yeah, I've I've seen the uh, the CED disc, and they're, they're basically kind of like if anybody remembers like the inside of like a floppy disk or something. It's kind of what mm. they reminded me of, yeah. like very thin, you know, easy to mess up. Mm. Um, but yeah, that, that that's a funny story to end this episode on. We'll just we'll put a pin in it there, 
And uh, next time we come back around to this, like I said, it might be two or three months, but we will come back around to this subject on the uh, Spook Show Spotlight. And uh, we'll get into the uh, birth of the video rental stores and the Betamax VHS wars and everything else that took place in the early to mid 80s. So, um, and, and honestly, that subject right there, just everything I just described there alone is probably a whole part of yeah. uh, the series. So, um, yeah, this has been a, a cool kind of informative yeah. look back on the, on the history of, uh, you know, the early history of uh, home video and everything. So, uh, hope you enjoyed it and we'll get to it in further point, uh, further parts next week. We return to our horror reviews and this time it's a wild card choice. It's not one of our choices in particular, but since we were, uh, we've already done the first two in the Hellraiser mm-hmm. series, we figured we'd dip back in and go to Hellraiser three hell on earth. So, you know, that's just the return of the Cenobites and pinhead and everything. So, <laughs> I can't think of the damn Cenobites without thinking of Cinnabon anymore. Like it's just, <laughs> it's just burned into my head now. It's just the way it is. Um, uh, you know, about the same uh, <laughs> level of yeah, uh, yeah. That, about the same level of hell. Uh, <laughs> either way, um, but yeah, that that's coming up next week, and then uh, the next week, our uh, on Memorial Day, uh, we have a special cannon fodder episode, uh, Invasion USA, the Chuck Norris cannon films classic. And of course, we'll have our recurring segment from uh, Canon Film Guide author Austin Trunick, whose new uh, new book, The Canon Film Guide, Volume Two. If it's uh, not out currently, it will be out very soon. I think he said sometime in the month of May. Last I heard, he didn't have a particular date, but it sounded like sometime this month um, the book will be out. So hopefully, uh, as soon as uh, as soon as we find out when that book is available, we will let you know, and uh, we'll have Austin. On for the little segment for Invasion USA, but we'll also uh, get the latest on when that book's coming out. So I yeah, guess that's even it. me who doesn't like books. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the guy that will never read it still is looking forward to the release of this book. No, I mean, yeah, I've, I've got the, uh, I've got the first one. I'm, I just haven't, haven't it's, started. Really. I, I will say if nothing else, man, it's an awesome guide. Like it's not yeah. necessarily like a, a chapter book. It's not like a book you're going to read, you know, front to back kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. Although you can, I mean, the way he wrote it and the way he put it together, I mean, he, he really did do a great job on it. But when we're doing these Canon fodders, or if you out there listening, you're just watching Canon movies, it's the perfect thing to pull out and like find out all the background information. He's got cool interviews with uh, behind the scenes people, actors and actresses, everything in the in that book, man. He did a great job. And I'm sure the second one's going to be just as good, if not better. Matter of fact, we know that it's over a thousand pages. He told us that. So the <laughs> This book is going to be like a, a the fucking canon Bible, basically. And he's still got, what, volume three, maybe even a volume four in him. So he's, he's got a lot of uh, lot of work he's put into this and a lot more to come. So uh, oh, yeah. he's a friend of the show. We'll have his little segment for Invasion USA. And uh, Camp Spook Show is right after that, starting in June 6th, episode 111. So lots of stuff cooking in the Spook Show universe. So for uh, Will, who couldn't be with us, uh, Donnie, Professor Smoke, I'm Josh. We are the All-American Spook Show Podcast, and we'll talk to you next week. As you leave the theater, folks, please be careful. Don't let this happen to your car. Be sure to remove the speaker before you leave. If you should accidentally pull a speaker loose, please turn it in at our snack bar or box office. Thank you.